dinosaurs. The show we're back. No. Nope. Dinosaurs. The dad was like a dinosaur and he would go home. I know. The baby and would the always baby's be like, like not, not the, the mama. mama. Not the mama. I know. Everyone talks about it. I've never seen it. It's a really depressing ending to the series because they like die. <laughs> All of them. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was about to be like, why? What happened? Oh, right. <laughs> that. <laughs> no, okay. That's fair. Okay. Um, anyways. Hey, guys. So, um. Welcome back. Um, I'm Tyler. And I'm Brittany. Um, so, I just wanted to say, um, again, welcome back. This is episode two of Blood and Wine. If Blood you... Wine. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Copyright that. Um, if you haven't seen episode one, it is a doozy. Um, it's over... it's uh, saying the... Um least or uh that's that's putting it lightly that's what i meant to say yeah it's um we went over our favorite serial killers um so you should definitely uh, tune in check it out after this one yeah and on that note i actually have a correction that i wanted to make um in the last episode kind of at the very beginning i did jeffrey dahmer and i said he was born in washington he was definitely born in wisconsin so just wanting to make that little correction there that mm. was me just thinking of a state with a w and i don't know tyler yours was in washington, washington so yeah. it just kind of was like on my mind or whatever so anyway corrections Yay. so um to start off this episode um Brittany is gonna say what was the theme yeah so um last week i lost so that means I had to pick the theme. Just kind of reminder of how this is going to work. We each present a case, um, and whoever has the better case is the quote-unquote winner. And the winner selects the wine for the next episode. I'm actually really excited for Tyler to um, tell us about this mm. wine that he's picked. It and looks so good. I guess it does. Um, and then the loser, which in this case was me, has to pick the theme. And to be completely honest, this was actually really challenging. Because, mm-hmm. like... I feel like it's one of those things where there's an infinite number of different kinds of themes and it's thinking of like how how broad or how narrow to yeah. pick. Well, yeah, because I mean, you can't pick a theme that's like murder because that's the podcast theme. Yeah. Um. So, but anyway, so this week I um, decided to have a little bit of fun with the theme and I picked gateway murders. So I just realized as I said that, that I need to very, very much clarify that because it sounds like I'm saying like someone's first murder. That's not what I'm saying. It's not someone's first murder. It's our first murder. Except it's not. (laughs) So we haven't murdered people. Um, So no, kind of what I mean is as someone who's been pretty um, passionate and fascinated by true crime for a really long time, I was trying to think back to what was that first case, that first crime that really sparked my interest. Mm. And, um, you know, it's it's kind of like, I feel like all of us who are really into the true crime right now, because again, it's like, it is so much a thing at the yeah. moment, um, which I'm loving because it's like always been my thing. And now I can, I can talk about it in public without being like that fucking freak. Um, and anyway, so... That's what we're going to talk about today. Our kind of the one that sparked our interest, sparked our passion. So what yeah. case was that? 
All right. Well, uh, first off, before we get into murder, because again, this stuff's so heavy, so we need a drink. Um, oh, yes. I am going to intro this wine. So I chose it because uh, we were at Trader Joe's. And do you want to mention, even though as of now I have mentioned Trader Joe's in every single episode, this is not sponsored. <laughs> Wish it was. TJ's, hit, please hit us up. Um, <laughs> we love you. <laughs> please. <laughs> So, um, yeah, I saw this wine. It's the Apothic Brew. I was like, oh, okay, Apothic. I'm a fan. Yeah. It's red wine that's infused with cold brew. I so, really just don't know what this one's going to taste I like. I know. It's like wine <laughs> and coffee, which works because it's still before. Nope, it's wine. Just kidding. It's coffee time. Um, so you this, mean wine time? Both. <laughs> uh, so this one is a California wine, and... Uh, I looked it up, and the Apothic Brew is actually a limited edition. Uh, it's only out this summer. So, yeah. No, I'm excited to try it. It's So, like I said, it's a red wine blend that's infused with cold brew coffee. Um, it says there are notes of red fruit, toasted oak, and coffee, obviously. Mm -hmm. uh, definitely not on the cheap side, at least for me. Uh, yeah. It's about $13 a bottle, which... It's about twice what I usually pay for a bottle because I'm a cheap ass. <laughs> um, but no, I'm excited because I feel like there's not enough really good red wines for the summer. And, you know, maybe cold brew coffee, oh, yeah. red wine, like that'd be a nice summer drink if you don't really want to have a glass of white. Yeah. This, so when you mentioned it was a, a limited time one, mm -hmm. that it makes me wonder if like that one, the, uh, the Apothic Inferno, I wonder if that one's still around. I... I forgot to look when I, because I bought that one a few times. It was mm -hmm. really, really good. Um, that's one that's um, in a, a whiskey barrel. Yeah. And anyway, I'm just, mm. I wonder how often Apothic does like these limited series ones. Because like the ones that we always get, the, the red or the Apothic dark, like those are all the time ones, which always a good like red blend. I really that's like Apothic. Good. I know. I'm not huge, huge on blends in general, but... The Apothic ones are really, they're like, they're a heavy blend, so it's... True. It's, it's like closer to a cab, but it's really good. Does Apothic only do blends? Or do they have like Apothic Merlot or... Because I don't think I've ever seen anything that's not a different mm -hmm. type of blend. I know. Well, I'm trying to think what they do with the whites. I'm really not sure. Um, um, it'll be something to investigate, but I... I you're right. I can never. I've never seen an apothic cab. No, because um, so I would buy that. <laughs> I know. So if anyone knows if that exists, like hit us up because that's know. Um, yeah. Oh, oh! Before I forget, we have a Twitter account. Oh, yes, we do. Yeah, and I have kind of started just setting that up. And uh, we posted a photo the other day of editing our first episode, uh, which that one, editing definitely totally. takes a whole hell of a lot longer than I imagined, mm -hmm. but. Um, it was, it was pretty cool to get to do that process. But anyway, so our Twitter is Blood and Wine Pod. <laughs> and um, I think that's right. Because I know. Oh my God, I hope it is. It is. Okay. So. Um, Blood and Wine Pod. Yeah. Couldn't, couldn't afford to cast in there. Well, it just made it way too long. Oh, that's true. <laughs> um, but anyway, so make sure and hop on there and follow us. Um, we are going to be sharing. Like, that'll be kind of your. <laughs> behind the scenes look at uh, what we're doing um, and I'm actually thinking of getting an Instagram 
but we'll we'll see. We'll see. We'll see about. <laughs> I'm I'm not as social media savvy, so we'll see. But um, <laughs> regardless, let's get into this wine. Yes. Um, again, starting off using my wonderful, awful foil cutter. That we'll see if it even cuts the foil. You know, one of these days we are. Oh, that, oh, it that did. was a much better cut I'm than last so time. I'm so happy. <laughs> um, yeah, one of these days we're going to have to get you a better. Um, you know what? Opener. It opens the bottles. That's It does its job. It's true. It does. And it's free because I already own it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's hear that cork pop this time. Oh, okay, maybe. That was. It's a little that bit of a pop. better. Yeah. Um, again, using the like Wishes of Wizard Houdini opener. Oh, smell the cork. Oh, it almost, it almost smells like a sweeter. I know. Like I smell like. Oh wow! Smell the bottle. You can smell the coffee. Whoops. <laughs> that was, all right, nose ring to the bottle. All right, so pour myself a glass. Mm. I mean, it looks like just a good red wine. So it does. Far. It's really dark, and um, I'm looking forward to smelling this coffee again. Smell. Oh, it's so. I think I gave you too much. And by too much, I mean more than me. So <laughs> I'm like, let me too just, much. Uh, we're we're gonna finish. Give it. myself a little extra slash. Yeah. Oh, and this time we also um, came prepared with two bottles. Yeah. Learned that last time. Because um, when we first started, I don't know why we assumed one bottle would be enough to both talk about everything. So this time we thought ahead and we got two bottles of it. Um, and like planned to use two bottles of it didn't just happen to True. grab one. Because last time we got lucky that we had that second bottle of Coastal because um, we definitely needed it. Yeah, this is definitely a, a two-bottle <laughs> podcast. But here, let's... Um, I think it's aerated enough. Yeah, let's cheers. God, oh. it smells... It's so sweet-smelling. Yeah. I'm a little nervous. I know. It's like caramely. Okay, but here, All right, cheers. cheers. I don't really know how... So more than coffee, I am tasting chocolate. Yeah. And, and it's cherry. Not... It's definitely, it's not a sweet wine. Like it's, No, no, it's not a sweet wine. It's still like a deep red. But wow. I'm getting, no, I'm definitely getting notes of coffee. But it's like, it's like the chocolate and vanilla notes from a coffee. Yeah, so I'm rereading the back of it. And like you were saying, notes of red fruit, toasted oat, combined with hints of cold brew for a well-balanced blend that captivates you from the first pour. I don't really know if I feel captivated, but it's good. I love, like I said, I love how Apothic experiments and they do different things. And I would have never thought to combine huh. coffee and wine. But, no, I, but I'm a fan. I am a fan. Okay. It's really smooth. Yeah. It's, um, and it's not oaky. Like, it has the oak flavors, but it's not a strong oaked wine, if that makes sense. I don't yeah. know. Maybe well, I'm bullshitting <laughs> right now. I mean, isn't that what talking about wine is, for the most part? Kind of. <laughs> Please don't add us sommeliers. I know. We know that We're sorry. We We're... know this legit. Um, speaking of, there's this documentary on Netflix. I hope it's still on there. I don't know. But it's called Psalm, and mm -hmm. it's about 
the um, like there's a few people who are taking the test to become sommeliers. And it's just really interesting because it's like they'll get a glass of wine and they'll they'll smell it and taste it and I have to guess like what wine it is from what year. And when they're talking about what year is this one? I don't know. <laughs> when did they start this one? But anyway, so when they're talking about all the different um, notes that they're getting, like sometimes they say things like, "Oh, it's like a a garden hose," or "I'm getting a little bit of a tennis ball," or a "Grandma's purse," and it's just like the weirdest shit that you would never think <laughs> has anything I mean, to do with. You know wine. what? But I get it. <laughs> you know, some wines you're like, "Ooh, it has like a like a rubber tire." But not in a bad way. This yeah. one doesn't say when it's from, but it is 13.5% alcohol, which is nice. I hate when you get a wine that's like 5%. I'm like, no. Okay, this is child's play. What wine play. are you getting that's 5%? Cupcake. Really? Yeah. Well, at least their Moscato, it's Cheyenne's favorite wine. Oh. Um, and the Moscato is 5%. And I'm like, why am I drinking this? This is juice. Yeah, I don't know I would why give this to like it. a six-year-old. I wouldn't. Wouldn't actually give it, but I, you know, I could, and they'd be fine, probably. Maybe, maybe no. Maybe not. Um, okay, so uh, we've got our wine. Now let's yes. uh, talk about the blood murder. <laughs> um, okay, so so tell us your my, your gateway murder. So my gateway murder, the one that first really like sparked my interest in the true crime and all that was actually a murder that happened in our hometown. Which, side note, how cool would a future episode be if we did hometown murders? I'm um, just saying. Yeah, um, actually, definitely. But, I mean, clearly you can't use this one again, so yeah, uh, but I really like that idea. Alright, I'm going to file that one back. Alright, jot it down. <laughs> um, but there is a post office in downtown in the town we grew up in, Edmond, Oklahoma, and I remember specifically being in the car with my mom. I was like, I don't know, like seven or eight or like a child. I don't know. Mm -hmm. And That's asking really my mom being like, what, what is that? There's this big statue outside the post office. And it's just like an old post office, this big ass statue um, and a fountain and like two people holding a ribbon or something. And I was like, what's, you know, what's that? What's it for? And my mom told me that in the eighties, there was a shooting at the post office. And I was like, what? Here? In bedroom community number five? Like, <laughs> it, the, like, most stereotypical suburb in the state? Yeah. And, yeah. So, I'm going to talk about Patrick Sherrill and the Edmond, Oklahoma post office shooting. So, surprisingly, I actually don't know a lot about this case. Like, I I recently found out within the last couple of years that this even happened in Oklahoma. Wow. Um... Yeah, because isn't this where the phrase, like, going postal came yep. from? This is where the phrase going postal came from. Okay. I'm really excited to hear all of this because I literally know nothing, and I'm, like, I'm failing as a know-my-hometown murders person. It's true. So, starting in, going in, uh, <laughs> 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 starting in, going in. <laughs> you having sex with it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> going in, balls deep into this. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, starting out, um, Patrick Sherrill, he was actually a former Marine. He grew up, I believe, in Enid. So oh, okay. Another small town, Oklahoma, but like farm small town, not suburb small town. 
And he... It, <laughs> I just love that you had to make... The, you had to clarify. There's, there's a difference. <laughs> there is. There totally is. But it's so Oklahoma. It's like, oh, this is like farm small town. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> Which is like, oh, there's like 10 people there. True. Enid, we know there's more than that. But, okay. You know, 12. But anyway, Cheryl was a former Marine, and he was actually an expert sharpshooter. He was working as a postal worker uh, in Edmond, Oklahoma, back in the late 80s. And by all accounts, he was a pretty normal dude. Mm-hmm. I mean... Mm-hmm. Aren't they all, though? I mean, no, they're not. <laughs> no. <laughs> Going by last week's episode, no, they're not. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Redact. But on um, August 19th, 1986... Uh, a couple of his supervisors reprimanded him, and well, we'll we, no, sorry, sorry. Give me a second, I'm setting it up, painting the picture. All right, all right, I'm visualizing. Okay, um, he told a local steward of the American Postal Workers Union that he was being mistreated, and he told them, "Was like, I got to get out of here." In the office, he was like an average dude, like just a coworker, mm-hmm. a little bit on the weird side, but. You know, nothing that really stuck out. Most people either, like, ignored him or, like, teased him a little bit at work. Yeah. Office life. Yeah, pretty normal. Like, in person, outside of work, his weirdness came out a little bit more, it seems. Um, He would talk at length about Vietnam and even wrote on his resume uh, to the post office that he had served in Vietnam. But he'd never actually been stationed outside the U.S. while he was a Marine. So it's like... Oh, so he just made all that up? Yes, but it it's it was something that he built not necessarily as a lie, but more of something that he like believed. But I don't think he interesting. Yeah. So So he like he he made it up, but he didn't believe that he made it up. He believed that that was actually what happened. Kind of. Kind of. It's 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 a gray area. Okay. Um cuz unfortunately there's not really any interviews with him. There's none. And we'll see why. Oh. He would also, um, around the neighborhood, when, you know, kids are, like, laughing, playing whatever, um, he would always think they were laughing at him. Hmm. Not just laughing because they're, like, playing with sticks and bugs or roadkill. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, dude's got a kind of... That's pretty messed up. Yeah, his neighbors... Low um, self-confidence. Or none, for sure. His neighbors would call him Crazy Pat, which I'm sure did not help with the low self-confidence. No. Neighbors are dicks. Wait, so his neighbors when he was an adult or neighbors when he was growing up? When he was an adult. Oh my god. Right. I mean, way to be just asshole neighbors. I know. Which, I'm like, if you're going to say that about your neighbors, don't let them hear you. Right? Because we're all guilty of kind of being shit. Oh my god, we judge our neighbors all the time. But like, not to their face. You're nice to them. You talk to them. It's the southern way. (laughs) Bless their heart. (laughs) Um, Jesus. Crazy Pat. But but in a lot of ways, he was a loner. Um, You know, definitely he's not the kind of guy that would go out to happy hour with his co-workers kind of thing. Going back to his work, though, so he was actually a postal worker who didn't have an assigned route. So, basically, where needed, he goes. He would go, yeah. And it's based on seniority, which he didn't have a ton of yet. So... How long he, was he there? I believe it was, like, four years. Okay, okay. But I think the 
post office, especially in the 80s, was something that, like, people stayed at for years. Like, you know, staying at jobs for 20 years, like adults do. Yeah, I mean, like, we kind of touched on this, I think, in the last episode. How, like, baby boomers. It's just this, this <laughs> generational thing, how our generation, we bounce from job to job for more career growth, and... Um, previous generations like stayed for a long time same job whether they were happy or not gross but um anyway so yeah he doesn't have a lot of job stability job security changes um and reports differ on whether he was like shit at his job and needed reprimanded because he was shit or (laughs) he's actually really good and his supervisors were thinking that like reprimanding him would motivate him to be even better and push more mail out because they're like his supervisors up i hope it's not that one me too but his supervisors or i guess at the time i don't know if it's still a thing but the supervisors are graded on like how much mail goes out so like at any way possible if they can get more mail out then they'll do do it what needs to be done which could lead some credence to earlier how I mentioned he talked to one of the union guys about how, you know, he feel he's being mistreated. But, or he could be saying that and, you know, dude sucks his job needs rep- reprimanded. Who knows? Yeah. Um, either way, so his two bosses shoot him the fuck out on the 19th. Um, and he was put in a position not only where he's, like, angry and feeling targeted, but also they, like, threatened his job. So he's, oh, like, shit. might, you know, he's thinking he might be about to lose his job. Right. And then as he's leaving that afternoon, um, on the 19th, he reportedly asked a coworker um, who had been nice to him, like, all the time. She was apparently a great person. Yeah. He asked her if she'd be at work the next day, and she was like, yeah, I'm here every day. He was like, he told her it might be best if she stayed home the next day. You just so, left it at that? A little foreshadowing. Could you yeah. even imagine what was going through her head at that moment? Like, why is... I'm Why sure at that moment, especially since, like, workplace shootings aren't common yet, like they are today. Right, so I'm right. sure she's like, uh, okay, maybe, like, it's going to be a really nice day tomorrow. Like, I'm sure literally the most innocent thing is going through her head. Well, you know, that, that's true. And that actually goes to show you how much has changed between, like, the 80s and now. Because someone tells you... Think about it. If one of your coworkers came up to you and was like, it'd probably be best if you weren't here tomorrow. I'd be like... What the fuck? And I'm like, what is about to happen? Hey, I'm going to work from home tomorrow, guys. Just feel like it. No, I wouldn't go to HR. (laughs) I like the police. I don't know. Yeah. Jesus. Send out a group email. Hey, team. No, maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, anyway, a little foreshadowing. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of this one. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know if you were going to say it out loud or not. I'm not very much either, so I'm kind it's, of like... It's a... Okay. I will it's say, a dessert it's a, wine. Yes. It's definitely something that would be perfect after a meal, especially if you want a dessert wine that's... You're, but you're not into sweet wines. Yeah. Like, this would be awesome with, like, some tiramisu. But oh, fuck it is... tiramisu. God, I know. But it's 1 p.m. on a Sunday, and we don't have tiramisu. But we are going to finish this box. It's I mean, $13. I also feel like maybe if we just drink more faster, that it'll it'll taste better. 
Oh, I'm sure bottle number two is going to taste fantastic. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> After we drink bottle one. But anyway, getting back to Patrick Sherrill. Yes. So the next day, August 20th, 1986... Uh, shortly after 7 a.m., Cheryl walks into the post office. Um, and it's, it's a big post office office. Like, there's about 100 people that work there. And he sought out his two supervisors that had chewed him out the day before. This is the post office that's in downtown Edmond, right? Yeah. Like, the one you think of. Yeah, the one that's, like, a little bit north of, like, the main downtown yeah. strip. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, okay. happened in that building. Oh, my God. Been um, there so many times. <laughs> yep. So he found one of his supervisors, Richard Esser, and immediately pulled out one of the pistols he'd brought to work that day and shot him. Esser had been talking with Mike Rockney at the time, uh, who Cheryl also shot and killed. Oh my god. Um, the other supervisor that had chewed him out was actually, had overslept that day and had a, wound up arriving to work an hour late at about 8 a.m. By then, the shooting was over. So it was essentially like him not waking up that morning saved his life. Uh, Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. Um, So after killing Esser and Rockney, Cheryl proceeded to go around the office and lock the doors to the outside and like start locking everyone in. Oh. Yeah. So at this point, a lot of the people in the building had started to realize like what's going on. Because at first, like, again... You have to put yourself in the perspective of this is before a lot of, like, workplace and school, these mass shootings happen. Like, they did happen, but it's not, you know, it's not in everyone's mind when they're going to work every Absolutely. day. Absolutely, like, yeah. I need to know where to hide if a gunman comes in. No, exactly. So, and especially, it's a mail office, so there's loud noises and shit. There's people dropping trays of mail, there's, so, a lot of people, they first heard the noises, weren't thinking a gunshot they were thinking oh my God, really? work stuff. Like, because that's not where their mind went. Oh my gosh. After the second gunshot, someone reportedly screamed, like, something like, oh my God, he has a gun. And that's when people started to realize, like, oh, fuck. This oh is happening. Um, so people started fleeing for their lives, um, and he continued shooting. Uh, Jerry Pyle had actually made it out to the parking lot. Before he got shot and killed. Oh, um, he was almost gone. He was almost, yeah. Then Cheryl walked back into the office towards a corner of desks where Patty Husband, Betty Jared, and Thomas Shader were hiding. Um, a couple moments before, a Husband, who was one of the supervisors, not Cheryl's supervisor, but a supervisor, a supervisor yeah. um, had yelled to her coworkers to like get down and hide. Um, Cheryl killed the trio, killed all three of them that were in that area. Oh my God. He then continued to uh, walk around the office to another area where Patty Chambers, Judy Denny, who had actually only recently moved to Edmond, started her job. Her, she and her husband moved from Atlanta because at a post office there, a guy had shot like a person. And, and so she, so she was like, this is dangerous. I'm going to a safer place. And oh move to my Edmund. God. So, okay, wait. I, how much time is elapsing right now? It's like, it's all like happening very quickly or... The whole shooting and everything took place over the course of like less than a half hour. 
oh my god so he is just like mowing people down left mm-hmm. and right what do you think about it it's like a one story office building I mean it's fairly good sized 100 people work there but also it's not huge huge right 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 um, so yeah I mean this is all more or less happening in a pretty small space jeez um, but yeah so in this area there's Patty Chambers Judy Denny Patricia Gabbard Patty Welch who was a brand new newlywed and Joanna Hamilton they're all hiding together he shot and killed all five of them six of them yeah so how how many victims are we up to now uh right now five three and two so ten ten yeah oh my god okay what are his next moves so he's continuing to walk through the building yeah he has his guns um, he runs into Ken Mori, who is just a couple weeks shy of his 50th birthday, shot and killed him. You know what's craziest as I'm listening to all of this? Knowing this building and knowing how many times I've been in there, it's, I, I just have like this really eerie feeling in my chest because it's like, oh my God, I could, I could see mm-hmm. this. Does that make sense? But yeah. I'm like, there are, like, there could be places that. You have been many times that you walked over where someone died. Like, oh, that's so that... morbid, but it's true. Oh, that's what—that's where my mind was going. Well, my mind was going like, as you're describing this event, it's like I'm seeing it, mm-hmm. but seeing it more clearly than I see a lot of other crimes that I read about because I don't know the area. Yeah, this but one you're like, yeah, I see, I know the building. Yeah, I picture all this stuff happening because I've been there many times. Yeah. God, okay, all right. Um, so then Cheryl is making his way towards the break room, and he gunned down William Miller, who was 30 years old. Earlier that day, he had um, like come to the office with a plate of cookies that his wife has made. Like, this is, it's such just a normal office. Yeah. That everyone who like, works in office, I guess, like knows. Just, mm-hmm. Yeah. As he entered the break room, and now that I'm thinking about it, I messed up the count earlier. Um, we weren't at 10. I think we were at 11. Okay, okay. But as he entered the break room, he encountered and killed Leroy Phillips, who was his 14th and final murder of the day. So no one survived? Well, I mean, people did. Like, like was there someone that he shot that survived? There were six. Okay. Okay. There are six people who he shot that survived, um, all of which like had to go to the hospital. They were shot. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's not. That's not like a go home and slap a bandaid on it. Yeah. But <laughs> fourteen people. And put it in perspective, the kind of like back in the eighties and seventies and stuff. Like people did, you know, shootings at works did happen. Right. But it was like. Someone's angry they're getting fired and shot their boss. Yeah, that's what or I was going to say. Like, I can picture it being like a... A domestic, you know, two co-workers, like, got in a fight and one shot the other. Like, they're one-off small fight. This is 14 people. They're like, this is a mass shooting. Was it like, one of the largest at the time, I guess? I think it was the third largest at the time. Okay. Um, Unfortunately, nowadays, it's nothing. I doubt it's even in the top, like, ten. I know. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Continue. I don't even want to go down that path because there's just too much. But same. Um, so while while all of this chaos and shit is happening inside, 
the Edmund police officers and SWAT team are like the police officers outside the building. It's right there. Oh my god, I'm like just picturing it's away. like right down the street. Yeah, a couple people who had escaped um, got into a car and because they're like getting shot at. Right, so they're, so they're not going to run. run. Got it, got they got it. into a car, drove there. They're like covered in their coworkers' blood and ran to the police office to tell them what's happening. I'm assuming at this time like maybe someone else had like also called 911 or something. Although, in the ensuing panic, like, people don't have cell phones. So, are you going to sit at your desk? So, maybe not. Um, yeah. No, maybe not. But yeah, so the police and SWAT teams are responding. They're outside gathering. Um, and they're trying for over an hour to talk to Cheryl. Like, they are um, talking to him on the bullhorn. They're calling the phone inside the office to speak with him. And he never answers. Like, he never responds to anything. Um, after not hearing from him, like, he's not giving them any demands. He's not saying he wants anything. SWAT team members, like, rushed the building. And they found him dead uh, by a gunshot wound to the forehead. Yeah. It, <laughs> I know. This wine is so bad. <laughs> I'm sorry, Apothic. We I, love you. But I know. Uh, this one's a mess on yeah. us. <laughs> or it's, it's not, it does not taste like I thought it would. But no, at the I same ex- time, I, I guess I didn't know it to what be a to lot expect. More bitter. Yeah, me too. Um, it's just really, <laughs> really sweet. Um, anyway, but these murder suicides and these type things, like these people are such cowards because they do this and then they do the the quick out. They're like, mm-hmm. "And I'm going to kill myself, so I don't have to deal with the consequences." And it's like, really? Maybe just maybe just don't do it at all. Yeah, like obviously seek Leave help it. and stuff, but. I don't know. It's so fucked up to take all these innocent people, like they who have families that like aren't, who like yeah. m- you know mom or dad or brother or sister to went to went to work because they work at a post office and they died. Yeah, like the uh, well, yeah. and it, honestly, and I can't believe I'm about to go here, but it's like I don't necessarily feel sorry for him, but I kind of do in the sense that I guess no, yeah. he was very much picked on, calling him crazy Pat. Like, be aware of what you're saying to people. Yeah, because I mean, you don't know how that might impact them. Yeah, and, and I mean, it's not like, like it's the person whose fault is this is Cheryl. Like, no, yeah, it's his fault, a hundred and ten percent. But I'm just saying when. I don't know. Don't don't say that kind of shit to right. someone. Like just it's don't just do it. It doesn't. I don't know. It doesn't take a lot to be kind to others, and not that. I'm not saying that had people been nice, it could have stopped the shooting. Because I don't know. I mean, maybe who knows? And who I don't. Knows? And I don't think that should be anyone else's responsibility necessarily. It's not. But like, fuck. Come on. Don't call your neighbor crazy, Pat. Yeah. I don't even have mean nicknames for my neighbors yet. I don't even have nicknames for my neighbors. Oh. Like, well, my current neighbor, I know his name. And when I oh, mention him, I say I his name. I don't know my neighbor's name. So I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I'm Tyler. Hi. Oh, but, man. Um, so they found him. They found him dead. Dead. Um, all in all, 14 people were killed. And six people, uh, William Nimmo, Gene Bray, Michael Bigler, Steve Bick, Judy Walker, and Joyce Ingram... Uh, were all shot and survived, taken to the hospital and survived their injuries. Good. Um, but yeah, this is where the phrase going postal comes from, is this shooting. It happened in Oklahoma 
city suburb Edmond. in the 80s. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's kind of... That's seven years before I moved there, though. Yep. Hmm. I wonder if mom and daddy knew. I know. It's, <laughs> you literally read my mind. So I was like, did they know that that had just happened? Which I guess seven years is... I can see them being like, okay. Yeah. It's I mean, not like it was like... To be fair, me, like, if I were to move to, like, the Denver area, I would not be turned off of moving to Aurora because the movie theater she- shooting happened, like, six years ago. Honestly, I feel like... But nowadays, like... You can't go anywhere without <laughs> something having happened there. Yeah. I mean, because, like, now we're in Austin, and um, there's plenty that's happened yeah. here. Things things recently, things in, you know, you just moved here, but things in your time here that have already happened. And it's yeah. just like, oh, I mean, shit happens everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you can't, I mean, you can't let, like, fear of what happened or what could happen rule any of that, because, fuck, it's always going to happen. It's always going to happen. And if you, This went dark. <laughs> well, but it's like, if that's, if that's what you're worrying about, you're never going to leave the house. Mm-hmm. Nowhere safe. Nowhere safe. Mm-hmm. No, but like... You, you're, yeah, you can't let fear of things happening, you know, keep you from going somewhere or moving somewhere yeah. or whatever. And, like, so that's one thing that I've always, um, I'm, trying, I'm trying to think because I've lived in a lot of places that are maybe not 100% safe, which nowhere is. That's kind of the point I'm making. But, like, you know, I've lived in New York and then I've lived in some of the grunger, grungier areas of Austin. But I'm kind of just like, okay, I mean, mm-hmm. whatever. At the time, it's what I could afford it. It's, or it's what I wanted to do. And, like, for example, I went to Europe this last year in the mm-hmm. fall for my birthday. And there was a lot of crazy stuff going on around that time with a lot of the mm. the people, like more people down in vans. I mean, we went to Paris and there was just a lot of stuff mm-hmm. that happened. And I had multiple people come up to me and it's like, oh, is it safe? And I had a friend that was going with us and it was her first time overseas. And she was a little bit nervous about it. And what I just told her was I was like, look, I'm not going to put myself in danger directly like i'm not going to be ignorant but at the same time i'm not going to let oh something happened there i can't go like i'm not i'm not yeah. going to let that prevent me from living my life well yeah i mean i uh, i lived in norway during the whole um when russia was annexing crimea the ukraine crisis was going on oh that's right and yeah. people were like is 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 nato going to engage russia over this and like norway and russia share a border so it's like fuck and people are like are you do you feel safe and i'm like i mean i don't feel unsafe i'm not going i'm not going like not go to class because i'm like oh sorry couldn't go to lecture the russians you know (laughs) like but like you know it was it was something that was in the back of my mind like that would suck if we all died but it's not it's not i'm like i'm not gonna be old i'm not able to go to russia and be like hey guys Come on, let's talk this out. I can't do anything about this, so I'm gonna live my life and do my do me. Yeah, yeah. But um, you know, kind of, I guess, playing off that living life and doing you. Let's talk about your murder. Okay. Um. Yes, it is now my turn. But mm-hmm. before we do that, will you pass me that opener? I want to go ahead and get into the second bottle. Second bottle time. Yeah. Um, you know, if this podcast goes off, I could start my and start my albums, my beautiful, my singing career, this yeah. beautiful voice. 
I think you should. Good. That's my... There we that go. That was a pop. Okay. Hope y'all can hear that. That was good. I know. It was. I kind of took the bottle off the table because I think like we keep doing like table noises. Mm. Um, yeah. Sorry about that. So anyway. You want some more? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. I, I, I need some more wine after this. Well. Absolutely. the good stuff <laughs> all the wine oh. okay so oops here we go okay right. cheers. cheers to bottle two all right so my gateway murder um and so i i couldn't tell you like like you did i feel like you had such a connection uh, I mean, connection, well, but also just, like, a profound moment of, like, realization of when you first discovered this one. Mm -hmm. I can't necessarily remember the discovery of this case. Um, but I do know that I was uh, probably at least in high school. I'm thinking I was high school age. So okay. older than you when I kind of, like, really started developing this passion. So for me, it was the Black Dahlia case. Ah, uh, Okay. Yeah. Okay. So again, okay, two weeks in a row, I'm kind of doing a case that may be a little bit more familiar to people than not. Mm. Um, uh, well, okay, to be fair, I know a lot of people that their knowledge of the Black Dahlia case is like, oh yeah, Hollywood gal, cut in half. And a lot of people think that Marilyn Monroe is the Black Dahlia. And I'm like, I don't... Wait, people think that? Yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> that's two very different people. To be fair, I don't know a ton about her okay like i know i know more about like i guess the investigation so yeah no i but i don't really know much background and stuff okay good good <laughs> i feel i feel better because like i did have this moment when i picked this topic where i was like oh okay great i'm doing another like one people have heard of because you know eventually i wanted to like Get into things that are a little less known, mm -hmm. which also, I guess, kind of makes it hard to find information, but it's possible. Yeah, anyway, I believe in us. I do, too. So, um, just, like, just shout out to these sources. When I went to look, there's a lot of information out there with the Black Dahlia case, but a lot of it is very similar. So, I kind of just honed in my research to a few um, key sites, Wikipedia, of course, also the FBI's website, which, okay. I didn't know it was a thing that you could go on to the FBI's website and look at case files and stuff. And like I was seeing like images of some of the letters and just it was really Jesus. interesting. No, it was really interesting. Not like not like crime scene photos. No, but still I didn't know that like the evidence was I guess public. Well, it may be okay. I will say, I know not everything is public because this is still an open case. Oh, cold, well, fair. cold case, but still open. But maybe because of how long ago it happened, mm. because this was in 1947. Okay. So, so 60 years, 61 years ago. Yeah. And so, I mean, to be completely honest, 71. It's, it's at the point 71 to, years. 71 years. Fuck. I know. It's at the point to where they don't feel like it's going to be solved. Yeah. Um, because to be fair, I mean, if the dude who killed her was 90, he's, or was 20, he's 90 now. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, the likelihood of catching him, catching him, probably not. Maybe discovering who it was, mm. maybe not. And they have, 
Charlie, we're recording a podcast. <laughs> Please stop. <laughs> you, you done? So the likelihood of catching him, I mean, like I said, catching him is not really going to happen, but, you know, maybe eventually they'll find out who it was. Yeah. But again, it's just, yeah. anyway, the other place, there's also like a Black Dahlia website. Apologies, I don't have the URL written down, but it's basically like blackdahlia.com, essentially. Right. It's something like that. And Blackdahlia.edu. <laughs> you know? Hey. It's a learning thing. Okay. It is a learning no, okay. That would kind of make sense. Oh, before I go into it, I want to do, I, I want to give a little bit more detail of why, like, this is the one that, like, sparked my interest. Because one thing I do remember, which is funny because it also involves Mama, I remember wanting to find out more about this case. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember telling Mama I wanted a book about the Black Dahlia. What was going through her mind when I was asking her this? God only knows. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Because I was literally just like, I want to know about this murder and this Black Dahlia. And she (laughs) found a book for me at a used bookstore. And it was just like Black Dahlia, like this case (laughs) file book. Um, I hate to admit it, but sorry, Mama, I did not read the book. Which I don't know why. (laughs) I was so into it. You asked for it. I asked for it. That's what you asked for. I started it. I never finished it, which... To be fair, that's what I do all the time with books. Um, Mm -hmm. But I kind of found, like, other ways of finding information. So, anyway, on the morning of January 15th, 1947, this woman, uh, Betty Berlinger, was taking a walk in just an L.A. neighborhood with her daughter. And she kind of, like, looks in the the brush and she sees something kind of weird she's like what is that it looked like oh, she's walking it like this is at night no no, no this is in the morning it's morning, the morning. Uh, okay yeah and she's taking a walk just with her daughter outside and she sees something and she's like why is there a mannequin like who threw away a mannequin like it's just this weird she's like i don't get it and so she kind of looks and then she realizes it's it's a woman it's a dead Jesus. body of a woman that has been sliced in half okay this is going to be a stupid question. No. Which way was she sliced in half? Like, stomach? Like, crosswise? Oh, yes. So, horizontally, at okay. the waist. At the waist. Um, but no, good question. Good okay. question. Because you could be sliced in half many, <laughs> many ways. top ways. Ooh. No. It was very much just a clean cut, like, just probably, like, above her, her hip, like, right on mm, her waist. Okay. And it was, she was just a few feet away from the sidewalk and she was posed in such a way that, again, it was why the mom thought it was a mannequin. Just the way she had been oh, posed. Okay. It only took the police and the FBI about 56 minutes to identify who this was. Oh, shit. Okay, that's fast. It was very fast. Um, it turned out to be a young woman who was 22. She was a Hollywood hopeful, Elizabeth Short. And she was later dubbed Black Dahlia. So, um, one thing that's kind of interesting, it was common practice around this time for newspapers to give interesting nicknames to female murder victims. And, and I guess if you kind of think of it, like even the murderers, like they, they even do this today. Yeah. So like, this is one of the cases where it's very much focused on the victim and not necessarily the murderer because we don't know who mm-hmm. the murderer is. Uh, but so the way that this, Black Dahlia name came into play was so Elizabeth was someone who she wore like a lot of black she had black hair black garments she was very pale 
And at the same time, there was this film noir movie mystery called The Blue Dahlia that had just come out about nine months prior to her murder. And so I've never seen that movie. Kind of interested to look into it Mm -hmm. because I just want to see like the connections. But because she wore all black and was like this very pale woman, they called her the Black Dahlia. So it's, it's very much something of the time and it has a connection to her being this like struggling actress and like Mm -hmm. trying to get into this world in Hollywood. She was also, her killing was dubbed the werewolf murder. And (laughs) I, why I, okay. I knew you were going to ask that. (laughs) I did not look further into the why my guess would be because it kind of like happened in the night and like she had been missing for multiple days Okay. Before, and I'll get into the detail, but like before they found her body, she had been missing for like a few days. Oh, is that why they were pretty, it was quick to identify her because she was already like a missing person? That they no. Were like, oh. no. No, no, no. The, the detail of how, um, how they identified her. Wait, where, yeah. <laughs> Werewolf. That's weird. I've that's also weird. literally never heard of that. No, so. this, yeah, I put it in because I was like, that's, that's different. And so like, even after like the reporters, they, they heard about this Black Dahlia name and just like immediately picked it up and that's what they were using. But, you know, even after that became the prominent thing that it was called, some stores, some sources were still like referring to her killer as the werewolf. Again, I should have looked more into it, but... Black Dahlia and the werewolf sounds like a real shitty movie. <laughs> the Black Dahlia and the werewolf. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, <laughs> so anyway, a little bit of background on Elizabeth. She was... One of six kids. So many kids. Yep. So she had five siblings and she was born in Massachusetts. Yeah. So her dad left them. Mm. And so her mom had to raise six children. I think a lot of them were girls on her own. Um, And, you know, when Elizabeth got older, she moved to California because she wanted to be a star and she wanted to fall in love. And I'm kind of just like, okay, honey. Whose dream isn't that? I mean, maybe not everyone the star part. I'll be a star one day. I'll find me a man. Same. (laughs) Yeah. But so, like, one of the big things for her was she she wanted to fall in love and she wanted to get married. And so, again, you've got to remember, she's, you know, when she was murdered, she was 22. So, at this time, she's maybe, like, 19, 20-ish. Jesus. Uh, So, she's very young. So, when she moved to Los Angeles, Elizabeth met a pilot named Lieutenant Gordon... Gordon Fickling. That is such a 40s name. Yes. Lieutenant Fickling. <laughs> Gordon so Fickling. Okay. Gordon Gordon is... That's a good name that, that it kind of name. maybe should come back a little bit, but it would have to be done right. Yeah. Not everyone can be named Gordon. <sighs> that's true. Um, anyway, so she fell in love with him. Like, head over heels. This guy was who she had been searching for, and she very quickly made plans to marry him. Unfortunately, Fickling was shipped over to Europe. So that kind of killed her her plans of marrying him. Um, so is this like 1944, like World War II? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yep. So, you know, in this in-between time, she took a few modeling jobs, but she was starting to feel really discouraged with her career. Which one thing, I'm like, honey, you young. Like, you just starting out. But again, it was a different time, and so I can't necessarily, like, feel that way. But also, I'm like, when I was 20, I was literally in college, didn't 
no any idea of what I wanted to do with my life. So props for her for knowing what her passion was, and what That's like fair. what her goals were. And she that was working is so towards true. It. I was like, yeah, no, same. Twenty, I'm like in college, waiting tables. Right. Uh, well, and another I, thing, I still like, don't know what I want to move. Okay. I mean, same. <laughs> So, one thing, like, major props to her, though, for moving across the country yeah. at such a young age. In the 40s. Yeah. I, yeah, no. that's just, that that's, takes guts. Yeah. And passion. Kudos. And that's what she had. So, again, she's taking a few modeling jobs, and um, she went back east to spend the holidays with uh, her family, and then she mm. went to Miami. She started dating another serviceman when she was there in Miami. She has a type. She, oh, I, she definitely has a type. Which, serviceman, girl, I get you. Yeah. I get you. So she fell in love with another pilot. Um, this pilot was named Matt, Major Matt Gordon. So, like, her type is... <laughs> Gordon. She likes that name. She likes the pilots, which I'm kind of like, girl, don't blame you. That's I know, hot. Same. I'm like, okay. <laughs> um, he promised to marry her, and then he was sent to India. So oh he was saying, like, um, he he would come back and, you know, I'll marry you. To India? Yeah, I don't know why. Oh. Um, he was killed in action. Oh, I didn't... So, okay. Maybe she, I need better, like, world history lessons. I didn't know there was World War II fighting in India. Well, and maybe it was something different. I, I don't know. I didn't... I mean, obviously, like, Matt Gordon was not who I was looking up so I didn't mm. dig in more to him but no, yeah. kind of the point of this is like again she has a type she was she was this close again to getting that marriage that she wanted oh. and then he was killed and she was heartbroken again yeah. and so she had like this period of mourning where she actually Wait, sorry was the first dude killed or is he just like still just in Europe he, at this time he's still in Europe okay okay um, so she had like this period of mourning and she actually told people that Matt was her husband and that she had had a baby that died in childbirth. Oh, okay. Um, and I guess that was just kind of her way of coping with this, the loss of what she never had is kind of how I read that. Okay. No, I, I get it. Yeah. Once she started to recover from Matt's death, she attempted to return to her old life and started contacting her Hollywood friends. One of those friends was Gordon Fickling, her former boyfriend. So she gets in contact with him again. Um, she, you know, saw him as this possible replacement for Matt Gordon. She started to write him and met with him in Chicago when he was in town for a few days. And she, like, once again was head over heels for this guy. She agreed to join him in Long Beach before she moved back to California to, like, continue continue uh, her passions of being in the movies mm -hmm. and um that's that's just what she wanted to do while she was in san diego she befriended this young woman named dorothy french and dorothy was a counter girl at this aztec theater and she actually found elizabeth sleeping in one of the seats after an evening show because elizabeth didn't have anywhere to live oh, so sure. it's like she just this girl, Dorothy, like, really took, you know, kind of took Elizabeth in. And um, Elizabeth was just telling her, like, she left Hollywood because finding a job as an actress was too difficult. And there's all these actor strikes going on. And um, Dorothy felt sorry for her. 
and offered her a place to stay at her mom's home for a few days. And Elizabeth ended up staying there for um, over a month. Damn. So. Side note. Yeah. Drink your wine quicker. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm talking. <laughs> yeah. Same. I kept up more or less. Well, you know, pour yourself some more. Just okay. leave me some. So basically, like, Elizabeth is young. She's trying to figure out where she wants to live. She's dying for a husband. She's, like, trying to get back with um, an old flame. Yeah. And this kind of brings us to her final days. Okay. So, she did a little bit of housework for the French family when she was living there with them, but she kept her, like, late-night partying and dating habits out there. So, 100%, I have no idea what happened with Gordon Fickling, and I think it was this, like, the way I'm reading it and understanding it, there was this, like, period of time where, like, she's in California and he's still in Chicago and they promised to be in Long Beach together, but, like, we're in this in-between phase of that happening. And I have to, like, continuously remind myself that this is the 40s. And so things like texting, obviously, not a thing. It's more so, like, letters and and whatnot. And if someone's out all the time, contacting them via phone, not really a possibility. Also, Elizabeth is couch surfing, for lack of a better phrase. She doesn't have her own place. Mm, See, Airbnb should have been in the 40s. (laughs) Could have been useful. Um, so anyway, she's, she's out, she's partying and she becomes, again, Elizabeth, she just wants love. She just wants to find love. So she becomes enamored with Robert Red Manley. So this guy's a salesman from Los Angeles who had a pregnant wife at home. Oh. And he, you know, Manley admitted that he was attracted to Elizabeth, but he he claims he never slept with her. Sure. So yeah, (laughs) claims. Whether he did or not, you know, the two kept seeing each other off and on for a few weeks. And Elizabeth asked him for a ride back to Hollywood. So he said, sure, I'll pick you up at the French household. And this was on January 8th, Mm -hmm. 1947. So he paid for her her for a hotel room um, for the night, went to a party with her. Two of them got back to the hotel. He ended up sleeping on the bed and she slept in the chair. But they're not fucking. Well, and again... This is Manley's account. Whatever. Yeah. Shared a hotel room. Yeah. So Manley had an appointment on the morning of January 9th. He returned to the hotel to pick up Elizabeth around noon. She told him that she had to go back to Massachusetts. Um, but first, she needed to meet her married sister at the Biltmore Hotel in Hollywood. So Manley is like, okay, I'll drive you there. He, he did not stick around. The Biltmore Hotel. That is... Wait is that the murder hotel? Um, no. Are you thinking of the, the girl that was in the thing on the roof? Yeah. No, what's that one called? It's... Uh, I'm going to look it up. Yeah, you look that up while I talk about this because um, I don't think it's the Biltmore, but it's definitely there in Los Angeles. Yeah. It's, so, the, it's the something hotel. Yeah. So you look that up. So Manly, he didn't stick around. He dropped her off. He had that appointment. He had to get to at 6.30. And he, he was not going to just sit there and wait on Elizabeth's sister to arrive. Yeah. Um, last time he saw Elizabeth, she was in the lobby of the hotel making some phone calls. Um, turns out Manly and the hotel employees were the last people to see Elizabeth short the alive. The Cecil. The Cecil. That's it. There it I is. knew it wasn't a B and it was just, oh, it's a, a C, right? Yeah. Cecil with a C. Yeah. Um, Sorry for derailing you. But no, I was no. like, I think... No, no, no. no. Um, 
that case also very interesting not yeah yeah fill me up fill me up um maybe eventually on one of our episodes we'll get to that case because it's real weird which case the cecil hotel oh the, yeah the oh, girl yeah no so Same. um Anyway, so Manly and the hotel employees, last people to see Elizabeth alive. Um, As far as the LAPD could tell, her killer is the only one who saw her from January 9th until she was found on the 15th. So It was the pregnant wife. (laughs) It was the pregnant wife. She found out about the affair and she was like, no, I'm going to fucking chop you in half. She had a samurai sword and was like, nope. Um, anyway. <laughs> Just say it. That's my theory. <laughs> that's your theory. All right, cool. Well, listen to the rest and see if you okay. think that that's your theory. <laughs> okay. Um, so Elizabeth is missing for a total of six days. Okay. So this brings us back to the crime scene that I kind of uh, talked about at the beginning where this woman, Betty, finds Elizabeth, freaks fuck out, calls the police. So okay. Officer Frank Perkins and mm-hmm. Will Fitzgerald arrived at the scene within minutes they saw this body, naked woman, cut in half. They confirmed, like, Betty's story was true and immediately called for backup. Because it's like, shit, we have a naked, dead, cut in half girl. We need backup. Yeah. I don't... I, I'm i just trying to imagine... Yeah, you have cork in your glass. Yep. I was trying to imagine just, like... I've Personally, I've never found a dead body. What? If you, like, you're walking your little kid, like, y'all are on this, walking on the sidewalk, maybe you go and get snow cones, or I don't know, whatever else you're walking around the neighborhood, and you, you see a woman cut in half next to the sidewalk, what do you do from there? Well... Like, did she go up to the house, be like, hi, can I use your phone? Cut in half woman over there. Yes. No, that's exactly oh what she did. My she, God. No, she ran to the nearest home to call the police. Yeah. And, like, so one thing I think of is, like, I feel like there are so many cases that start, and a jogger was in the forest. Oh, my God. No, it's true. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, so if I'm jogging, it's not going to be in a fucking forest, because I'm going to be too scared I'm going to find a dead body. Yeah. No. I literally... Uh, no. I'd be like, mm No. I'm going to use the treadmill, because you don't find bodies next to the treadmill. You don't. I just <laughs> thought of an idea for a theme... Joggers who found dead people. But in places like Central Park or the parks in Washington, D.C., like, so you're not like, you're not in the mountains or whatever. Jogging the mountains. (laughs) Jogging the mountains. That just sounds unsafe. (laughs) Um, For many reasons. But anyway, just think of like like murders found in Central Park. We we can talk about it. Okay. I'm not convinced. All right. Well, I'll... uh, I'll try to get that one on okay, you a little we'll bit later. See. But anyway, so they confirmed Betty's story and called for backup. So they one thing that the LAP did note is that this woman's body seemed to have been posed. She's like lying on her back with her arms raised over her shoulders. And then her, her legs were twisted in a display that was like very seductive. And again, you have to remember her body is in two pieces. Jesus. So, like, she's posed in this way. And they, they believe that she'd been tied down and tortured for several days because she had a lot of rope marks on her wrists, her ankles, her neck. Fuck. Yeah. Um, was she... And please tell me, yes. Was she dead before she was cut in half? 
She was. Oh, so I'll get into okay. I'll get into some autopsy, but I totally understand why you asked that. Okay, yes. good. That happened post mortem. Um, I mean, not good, but like better than yeah. If you're gonna be cut in half, dear God, please just be dead by then. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, she was definitely tortured a lot. Mm-hmm. Her body was severely mutilated and uh, completely severed at the waist, drained entirely of blood. So, question. There's... I see so many, like, killers or, like, victims stuff that, like, what that's one of the things is, like, they've been d- drained completely of blood. And my mind always goes, okay, does that mean they were, like, you know, cut and then, like, hung up to drain or like because you cut them in half they have arteries the blood all just kind of went out i mean like is it intentionally drained of blood or just like that happens when you cut someone in half so i can see both sides of it one thing about elizabeth short she was moved and I'll get into a little bit of detail. And so one thing I think of is, like, if you're going to kill someone in one place and want to move them to another, maybe you want to drain them of the blood because otherwise there's going to be blood droplets mm, okay. covering yeah. your path. Like, so you want to just get rid of the blood. That way yeah. there's no evidence from A to B. Ah, uh, okay. Right? Okay. And, I mean, I say no evidence, no blood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so yeah, she's drained of all her blood. She's completely pale. Um, medical examiners determined that she'd been dead for about 10 hours before they discovered her. Mm. So, so again, like I said, she was missing for six days, but she'd been dead for 10 hours. So that mm. shows like she went through multiple days of some type of torture. Jesus. And, um, this leaves her time of death around like the evening of the 14th, maybe early morning, uh, January 15th. And um, the body had clearly been washed by the killer. So one um, further interesting fact of how she was mutilated, her face had been slashed from the corners of her mouth all the way to her ears. Oh, shit. And it's like creating a permanent smile. And apparently the smile has a name. It's the Glasgow smile. Um, And it's where someone has their smile like cut from the corners of the mouth like i said maybe not all the way to the ears but like pretty far where it creates a scar um a lot of killers will use like something very jagged so it's not a pretty scar like to create this scar and the one thing that i keep thinking of is like kind of the perfect example is the joker Mm -hmm. and how um at least uh, pay a moment of respect to heath ledger and his phenomenal joker that he played in the dark knight but if you remember during that story he he kept telling different stories of how he got the smile and where it was like his dad did a razor or like other you know he had a fight with his wife and he was doing it to you know always be smiling super creepy but like that's kind of i think the best uh like cultural example of this kind of glasgow smile and um anyway so elizabeth had that yeah she again she had several cuts on her thighs her breasts um there were certain parts of her body where entire portions of flesh had been sliced away the lower half of her body was about a foot away from the upper half and the killer had tucked her intestines kind of underneath her butt so they're not they're not out they're kind of tucked away jesus christ yeah um there's like i said no blood on her no blood on the grass like 
nothing. So this is seeing that evidence is when the investigators determined like she'd been killed elsewhere, completely cleaned of her blood and then dumped into this vacant lot. So a lot of the intrigue that came from this case just do you need to pause it? You're having a moment. Oh, I'm sorry. I just looked at the photos. Yeah, um, it's pretty bad. Jesus fucking Christ. Sorry. No, it's fine. It's fine. Um, they're brutal, and it's one of those things where I'm kind of like, thank God they're in black and white, those photos. Yeah. I. They're some of the most, like, intense crime scene photos that I've ever seen. And I think it has to, I mean, she's, she's cut in half. Like, yeah. that is so terrifying. Like, everything about that is terrifying. Jesus, God. Um, I'd, I'd never seen the photos before. Yeah. They're pretty bad. They're, I mean, unfortunately, literally all you have to do is Google. I mean, I saw that. It's what you did. Because yeah. they're, they're out there. I Googled, yeah. Black Dahlia crime scene photos. You can see all of them. Um, if you have any interest of seeing, like... Jesus, God, though, be sure you want to. Yeah, it's uh, honestly the description is enough. You don't necessarily need to match that with the visual. So, part of the intrigue that came from this case was just this unprecedented brutality of this murder. And, you know, additionally, before she was killed, like during this time when she was being tortured, she was forced to eat feces. Um, they, like I said, they took away portions of her flesh. He, uh, I say he, the killer, um, removed her pubic hair. Like he shaved her, her body. He, um, also inserted these pieces of flesh and her pubes into her vagina, into her rectum and removed her uterus, which. So wait, first off, this dude's so fucked up. Second off. Is it, like, something you need, like, how well is it done? Like, do you need medical knowledge to do this? Or is it something like, because, I mean, (laughs) my medical knowledge begins and ends with seasons one through current of Grey's Anatomy. Yeah. But, I mean, I I feel like I'm going to figure things out. Right. But I, I feel like cutting someone in half... Specifically removing their uterus, do that, like, you'd need more than just, like, right? Yeah, I kind of hate how fucking smart you are, because I'm not there yet. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. But, uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But no, this shows that you are thinking along the exact same lines that these investigators were. Honestly, just, I could have solved the case. Just saying. <laughs> with just how cleanly she was cut and all of these things that were done, yes, their thoughts were like, okay, this has to be someone with a medical background. We'll get into more of that later, but okay. yes, you are you are totally on the right okay. right train of thought. Like you're it's, you're following what they are in this moment. It I'm basically I could be a crime scene investigator. I don't want to be, and that's the only reason I'm not. It's because I don't want to be. I mean, honestly, <laughs> there is some truth to that, considering you do have a degree in criminology. Fair. Like you could have taken that to go further. <laughs> no, that that now you're but, right. But, but it's the choice of do I really want to expose myself to those types of things and Or do I want to live a happy life and do <laughs> things like human resources. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a little happier, I think. I think so, too. Um, so, the investigators looked at her fingerprints, and they were needing to safely send them to the FBI to hopefully identify who this person was. Well, the FBI headquarters was in Washington, D.C., and they're mm-hmm. here in L.A., and there were just some severe winter storms going on. Are there not, like, widespread FBI field offices at this point? I mean, I'm assuming no. Okay. I mean, yeah, if they're sending them to D.C., like, probably not. Where mm-hmm. is, um, Quantico is, like, is again, on Virginia? the East Coast. Like yeah, Arlington. Virginia. So, again, I think there's just a lot of this is on the East Coast, and they're over yeah. here on the West Coast. Yeah. And so there's these severe storms going on and January. It, it could delay this this investigation and this request and they were just like shit that's just like that's, that's too much time for a homicide because every moment counts like yeah. I'm sure you've heard on all the crime shows they talk about you know 24 hours 48 hours like those are the prime times yeah. to get evidence and so they needed to know who this woman was and so they um they got into contact with Warden Woodlard, who was an assisting managing editor at the Herald Express, so one of the newspapers there, and he was going to help out the LAPD with the, the investigation. The reason they reached out to him is because this newspaper had recently purchased new technology called a sound photo machine, and um, Woodlard this manager, managing editor, believed that he could use this sound photo machine equipment to send the fingerprints to the FBI. Now, I don't necessarily know what a sound photo machine is, but it's something that can like take an image of something and like blow it up. Of sound? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Um, so when Woodward spoke to the LAPD captain, Jack Donahue, about this idea, it, they were like, yes, let's do it. So when they first transmitted the fingerprints mm-hmm. uh, to the FBI, they really couldn't read them. Um, so one of the photographers suggested they reverse the lab process and send the negatives to the FBI. Oh. So they sent the negatives, they blew them up to like eight by 10 so they could, uh, the FBI agents could clearly read them. This is how they figured out that it was Elizabeth Short. Um, so Short's fingerprints had actually already been in the FBI's database for a, a couple of things. Um, one had been she applied for a job as a clerk at an army camp in California in mm. 1943. And then the second one is because she was arrested in Santa Barbara for underage drinking. Wait, so, what's the drinking age in the 40s? How is it not like six years old? I thought that's how just the 40s were. I mean, it was clearly 21 because she was oh, young. Damn. Maybe it was 18. Oh, she might have been like... Yeah, Man, no. how the fuck young was she when she went to California? Well, that's not, I don't know. Maybe 17. Oh, damn. Um, but anyway, so like her mugshot was on file with the FBI. And there's a photo that you see of her all the time where it's just her straightforward. Mm-hmm. That's her mugshot. Oh, damn. Yeah. That's a good photo. It is. like um, I get why she was trying to be a model and actress, like, break into the business. I mean, she was gorgeous. She, yeah. She was absolutely beautiful with, like, this dark, curly brown hair. Um, anyway, so they figured out who she was. They sent her to get an autopsy, and she just had, you know, from the autopsy, they noted, like, multiple lacerations, no sperm present on the body. Killer had washed her clean. Uh, there were numerous cuts kind of in this crisscross pattern around her pubic area. 
And again, like kind of I, I mentioned earlier when you asked the question about when she was cut in half, a lot of the damage was done post-mortem, um, which thank, thank God for that. <laughs> so her official cause of death was hemorrhage and shock due to concussion of the brain and lacerations of the face. So I guess she got beat over the head, body went into shock, cuts all over her face, probably the, unfortunately, her mouth. <sighs> And so um, the the shock helped. Um, she she died. Yeah. Um. There was a guy Wayne Sutton who was a Herald Express writer that was tasked to call Elizabeth's mom, kind of let her know what happened. Fuck. Why didn't the police do that? I don't know. Um. They needed to get some more information out of the mom about Elizabeth. And so, unfortunately, Sutton is, like, chatting the mom up, talking about Elizabeth. The mom is all about chatting about her daughter. She's, like, she's very proud of her. So then Sutton has to tell the news. Phoebe Short, like, did not believe him. She's like, nope, you're full of shit. This could never happen to me. This could never happen to my daughter. Um, Like, no, she's not murdered. No. So the LAPD had to contact local Medford cops and send them to Mrs. Short's house or Ms. Short's house uh, to, to tell her what had happened. Um, so she would kind of accept oh my God. what had happened to her daughter. So kind of now going into like the whodunit, uh, due to just all these, all the mutilations on her body, um, investigators really believed that Elizabeth knew her killer beforehand. And um, FBI criminal profiler John Douglas mm-hmm. believed the killer knew her well and had some type of emotional attachment due to like the horrific violence that was inflicted upon the body. Yeah. Yeah. And then also, you know, leaving her body on public display just to kind of like show the world, let her see Elizabeth on all the wrongdoings that she'd done to him. So they thought the, the killer knew her. Jesus. Um, yeah. So on January 23rd, 1947, same year, mm-hmm. the examiner got a call from this guy who was claiming to be Elizabeth Short's killer. He told the editor that he was upset at the way the story was being handled in the papers, and he offered to mail some of her belongings to prove his claim, to prove that, like, yeah, no, I fucking killed her. So a few days later, the examiner received a package and a letter formulated from, like, magazine clippings. So it wasn't handwriting. It was different letters from magazines. And in the package, um, there was her birth certificate, business cards, photographs, and an address book with the name Mark Hansen on the cover. Ooh. Oh, how would any of that prove that he's the killer? Um, Does she carry her birth certificate with her? So I actually don't know if that was a thing that people had more readily available on them. I know, it's for real. I don't even know. I mean, like, ours are with Mama, and I kind of feel like that's where they should stay. Yeah. I don't need my birth certificate. But, like, but I'm, I'm just thinking, like, he had... I mean, he could have also been her neighbor. Yeah. Or, like, visited the house that she was staying at if she didn't have a house at this time. Well, I remember she was staying with the French family. Yeah. Well, I mean, okay, he could have been a visitor of the French family. And, I mean, she lived there. She had all her shit there. Like, how how does that stuff convince anyone he's the killer? I mean, I don't know. 
And okay. I mean, clearly, it 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 didn't convince that he was a killer, but because of this this address book that had this name, Mark Mark Hansen. Yeah. Uh, Mark Hansen was someone who became a prime suspect in this murder. Yeah. So later, Elizabeth's handbag and shoe were found in a trash can. Uh, oh, later that same day, and it was just a few miles away from the vacant lot where her body was found. Um, the person who identified these belongings as Elizabeth was Robert Red Manley. Oh. This was the guy that had the wife. So he's the one that identifies these things as hers. Um, okay. But the, the LAPD no longer saw him as a suspect. Why? Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. Okay. They, I, it was, so all the information I found was saying that he identified the items before the LAPD no longer saw him. At, so, like, when he was identifying the, these, he was a suspect. Okay. And then I think because of later things that came out in the case or later, like, portions of their investigation, he was no longer a suspect. Oh, okay. okay. Um, so, you know, having these items being so close to the dump site mm-hmm. could have been a mistake on the killer's part. Because... Maybe he thought they wouldn't be linked to her murder, but because uh, Manly was able to identify him, they were. And this close location of the items revealed that the killer was most likely in walking distance of both of these places. You know, throughout this investigation, letters continued to pour in with lots of information, lots of it false. Um, Yeah. So this is where I get into where I was telling you, 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 we were on the exact same mind train as the LAPD. Mind train. Mind train. Yes. Mind train. Train of thought. No, no, no. Mind train. You just let it happen. It's a good one. You know, it sounds like a really fun theme park ride. (laughs) The mind train. Train of thought. Mind train. No. I see them as the same thing. No, I get it. Okay. I'm just trying to I just don't really agree. All right, I'm just trying to be different. Okay. Well, you right. clearly be. So you're on the same mind train okay. as, the, as the LAPD. And they were convinced that this murderer had to have some type of medical training. Yeah. Just because, again, like I said, how cleanly she was cut. Um, I want to read kind of a little bit of what the LAPD said. Uh, the manner in which Elizabeth Short's body was dissected has indicated the possibility that the murderer was a person somewhat experienced in medical work. The Los Angeles Police Department has undertaken to develop suspects among the medical and dental schools in the area, as well as among other students who have anything to do with human anatomy. Dental? Well, how... You work with a mouth. I mean, like, she did have the mouth cuts, but, like, I feel like teeth experts aren't going to be, like... Surgical experts. You still have to have anatomy, I'm sure. Mm, okay. Like, I mean, so, like, they've had... That's more... Like, I didn't take anatomy for art history. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, neither did I. Although, mm, I was going to say that it would have been interesting. But, yeah. No, we didn't have to take anatomy. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So, due to, like, all the complexity of the Black Dolly case, the original investigators treated every single person who knew her as a suspect because they they literally just didn't know. I think Robert Raymond's wife was a nurse. Pregnant (laughs) wife was a nurse. That is my theory. All right. Well, you're going to have to do some further research and maybe add that to corrections in the next episode. (laughs) (laughs) Correction, uh, this case was solved by yours truly. 
Um, <laughs> yes, I did mouth pop. Yeah, you did. Your mouth popped and I just looked at you. Um, <laughs> so by June of the same year in 1947, they the police had processed and eliminated a list of 75. Um, she they, had a lot of friends. Uh, yeah, well, they had considered 192 suspects in total. I don't even know that many people. Yeah. Maybe I'm just a sad per anyway. Anyway. <laughs> um there <laughs> in in all about sixty people confessed to her murder, but there were only twenty two who were ever considered like viable suspects by the LAPD and just no one ever completely panned panned through. I guess I just why? Why are you going to confess to a murder that you didn't do? Because obviously, 60 people did not do this. No. I don't know. And maybe it's just something along, like, how well-known this case was. The whole Hollywood starlet. And, like, maybe people do just Do people want... not think ahead being like, yo, you probably going to be hanged if they think you actually did it. <laughs> I mean, like, true. Also, I'm just... I'm just picturing, like, an inspirational 80s movie that's like, I killed the black dog. No, I killed the black I killed... But I'm just saying, um, if that is not how it happened, then all y'all dumb as fuck for confessing. Well, you know. And that's... I don't know why they... The 60... That is so many people to fucking confess. I know. To where it gets to a like, point Like, do you think like, you're gonna... Do you think it's gonna be like, oh my god, oh... I'm Joan Rivers, and there he is, the confessed killer. Oh, my God. He's wearing Giorgio Armani suits and whatever murderers wear. Like, do you think you're going to be famous? You're not. I mean, not famous, but infamous. Okay, but, like, what's, what's what's your end game here? Like, they find out, like, oh, you couldn't have because you live in Kansas City. And then everyone's going to be like... He confessed to being the murderer, and then he wasn't. Let's cast him in the new movie. Like, well, I don't know. Anyway. That's going to be one of those things that <laughs> the only time I could ever not, not understand, but begin to understand why someone would confess to something is if they're, like, already in prison and just want more clout. I mean, okay. Yeah, I mean, I really don't know. So recently, in 2016... Oh, shit. So, yeah, recently. Super recently. <laughs> someone named Steve Hodel, who was a former police department detective. So he's kind of, like, in this realm there in California. Mm. He has felt that he has pretty sufficient evidence that his dad, Dr. George Hodel, killed Elizabeth. Oh, shit. And so he's kind of been dedicating these last few years of his life to this evidence and how he's pretty positive that his dad was the killer of Black Dahlia. fucked up would that be? Yeah. You know, you're doing your job and you're like, I think my dad uh, was the murderer in one of the most famous killings in modern American history. Yeah. No. That was him. You're right. Like, at, at this time, this case remains unsolved and it is one of the most Famous unsolved murders in American history. Mm. So. I will say though, like, you know, depending on where this goes, kudos to him for like 
calling out his dad? Yeah, because I feel like there are a lot of people who'd be like, oh my god, I think my dad did it. I'm a police officer. I have the ability and could cover this up. Yep. Like, like if any of the people who could cover it up and make sure that this 70-year-old murder is never solved, like, a former police officer... Would be the one to do who it. Who thinks his dad did it. Yep. Would be the one... So, kudos to him. Maybe, you know, maybe his dad is the killer, maybe not, but kudos. Kudos to him. So, sure. that, that's it. That was my gateway murder. So, my, my first one was... Uh, my, my interest came at a, at a very... Clearly, like I said, it was like the most famous un- unsolved murder of American history. So, I uh, guess I get why yeah. it tied me in. So, I guess from here... Time for postmortem. Mo- yeah, moving into the postmortem. So, a broad overview of each of our cases. I mean, I guess. I don't know. You, you go first, because I so, just finished mine. So, you go with your like kind of broad overview. Yeah. Broad overview, Patrick Sherrill... Um, perpetrator of the Edmund Post Office Massacre. Uh, the event killed 14 people and uh, led to the coining of the phrase going postal. It was one of the largest mass shootings uh, in the U.S. at the time. At the time. At the, at the time. So my broad overview, Elizabeth Short, Black Dahlia, freaking solid in half. Or not sawed, cut in half. Yeah. 22. All the things done to her. Yeah. 60 people confessing. Yeah, I mean... Still unsolved. If uh, if we're picking... If we're picking a winner saying. here, you, you win. You, I... Yeah. Thank you. No, I, that... Yeah. I love your connection hometown-wise to... Um, Look, I got the... Patrick Sherrill has the numbers. Yours has the fucking... Brutality. So it's no, so yours. Brutal. She. Fuck no. In the pictures. No. Oh, that's yeah. right. Yeah, Elizabeth I, Short. You know, again, I did not tell wins. you to look at those. <laughs> no, but I did. Yeah. Okay. So I guess next time, I'll pick a topic. God, this is so fun. I'll pick a topic, <laughs> and uh, you pick a wine. I will. Yeah. Well. um... Thanks everyone for yeah. Thanks listening. for thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. Um, I'm gonna finish. I mean, we're about to finish this bottle. Like, I might need another drink, but yeah, okay. there's a possibility we need more. This was insanely heavy. Yeah, um, but at this point, I think it always is. And good God, we're just we're gonna drink a lot. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, all right. Well, thank y'all, and we look forward to chatting with y'all next week. Yeah. All right. See you guys. Blood and Wine signing off. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) Bye. (laughs)